so I'm going to be talking today about nutrition therapy, the most effective therapy we almost never use. I have nothing to disclose, and my objectives today will be to discuss the benefits of exclusive enteral nutrition, to identify patients that will benefit from exclusive enteral nutrition, to identify barriers to starting this therapy, and to review methods to increase utilization of exclusive enteral nutrition. We've all seen this slide before, and I don't want to take a lot of time to focus on this, but I did put this here just to bring um, attention to the fact that the pathogenesis of IBD is multifactorial, right? So we, noticed, we know that IBD will arise in a patient with a, a genetic predisposition to immune dysregulation when they are exposed to an environmental trigger. And we know that currently there is over 200 genetic polymorphisms that are associated with inflammatory bowel disease. And looking at genetic studies, we know that genetics influences about 10% of patients with ulcerative colitis and 30 to 40% of patients with Crohn's disease, which therefore leaves the majority of risk for developing inflammatory bowel disease in that environmental exposure group. So we know the incidence of IBD is, a, is increasing globally, but there is a disproportionate increase in the industrialized countries. And several of our speakers yesterday mentioned this when they were talking about people immigrating to the United States from Thailand and Cuba. So we think that environment is critical to the development of inflammatory bowel disease, and that diet is a key factor in this environmental exposure. So nutrition therapy is nothing new. For at least 50 years, we've been looking at nutrition and its role in inflammation and in inflammatory bowel disease. So just to walk through a timeline, 50 years ago in the 70s, we noticed that patients with Crohn's disease that were put on TPN improved. And at that time, we attributed that to bowel rest. But as people did more studies, what we recognized was that it was essentially what was going into the GI tract. And in the 80s, there were lots of studies looking at the effects of an elemental diet on inflammation and Crohn's disease. And it was found to be quite successful. In 2004, we started to expand beyond the elemental formulas and looked at polymeric diets, polymeric formulas, and also found that there was equal success with use of this formula in improving inflammation in IBD, which led to Japan and Europe in 2006 recommending exclusive enteral nutrition as first-line therapy in Crohn's disease. So at that time, virtually everybody started to get on board with that was probably the right thing to do. In uh, 2014, the ECHO and ESPGEN um, groups updated their consensus guidelines, and you can see one of their conclusions was that in children and adolescents who have not finished their growth, exclusive enteral nutrition is the induction therapy of first choice due to its excellent safety profile. It's preferable over corticosteroids, which were equipotent in inducing remission. And jumping back across the pond, NASBIGAN also said that this was something that we should be using as well. This is from 2004, and it's the NASBIGAN clinical report, 
And these authors concluded that improved uh, growth and development without the side effects of steroids made enteral nutrition a better first choice for first-line therapy in children with active Crohn's disease. And then about 10 years later, the IBD committee published a report that also, that also said that enteral therapy is um, effective and that it offers an alternative to corticosteroids to induce remission in pediatric Crohn's disease and should be supported as first-line induction therapy in pediatric Crohn's disease regardless of where their disease is located. And furthermore, the use of enteral nutrition will avoid significant adverse effects of corticosteroids. So everybody thinks it's the right thing to do as first-line therapy. We've done lots of studies related to exclusive enteral nutrition, and we still don't know how it works. So currently, these are proposed mechanisms of action of how it is helpful in inducing remission. So we don't know if it is related to decreasing luminal antigens, if there is a direct anti-inflammatory effect of the formula itself. There are some theories that improved nutrition in general may just help improve inflammation. We know that it changes the gut microbiota, and it can reduce the overall bacterial mass that is in your intestines. If you're drinking 90 to 100% of your calories through a formula, you're going to avoid additives and preservatives, which may also be helpful. We learned a little, about, a little bit about uh, metabolomes yesterday, and so we think that potentially enteral nutrition, exclusive enteral nutrition, may alter the beneficial and harmful metabolites produced by the gut microbiota. It can correct intestinal permeability, and it just might reduce the residue that reaches the distal small bowel and colon. So what are the benefits of exclusive enteral nutrition? Well, we know it is the most studied diet for the treatment of Crohn's disease, and it is as effective as steroids in inducing remission. So this means about 70% of your patients that you start on exclusive enteral therapy will, main, will get into remission. Exclusive enteral therapy is associated with mucosal healing, and this is superior to steroids. It improves growth, bone health, and lean mass accrual. And there are no immune suppression effects, which is pretty big. So who is the best candidate of choice? It's probably the majority of patients that you see with Crohn's disease. It can be the newly diagnosed patients. It can be young patients, those who are malnourished, whose growth is stunted. And while it might seem counterintuitive to think about the medically non-compliant patient, it really depends upon why they are medically non-compliant, right? So if they think that taking a pill is essentially poison to them, and we all have those patients, nutrition therapy may be a really good option for those families. And patients who have active infections or viruses where you need to hold their immune suppression medicines, enteral nutrition would be a great option at that time as well. We have those patients who always have side effects to whatever medications that they take, and so this would be a consideration for them. 
And while we know that the risk of developing cancers with our biologics and thiopurines is low, there are some families who are unwilling, if they've had a family history of cancer, to assume that risk for their child. But it doesn't work for everybody. So people who will have a, a poor response are probably those patients who present with severe perianal fistulizing disease, those with severe strictures, penetrating disease, really bad growth failure, and panenteric disease. So you scope, you image, and every place in the GI tract is inflamed. What does central nutrition look like in 2018? Well, it is varied, and if you read the literature, there's many ways that exclusive enteral nutrition can be done. But basically, we look at about 90 to 100% of calories coming from a formula, and the duration to induce remission can vary from four weeks to 12 weeks. If there isn't any improvement within two weeks of starting exclusive enteral nutrition, we would recommend that you change therapy. The formulas can be either elemental, semi-elemental, or polymeric. It doesn't matter. They all have the same uh, outcome. You can give it by NG. You can give it orally. And after induction, you can think about liberalizing the diet so that it's something that's a little bit easier for patients to stay on long-term. So I'm not certain that I have said to you anything that you haven't already heard today, right? We know that it's first-line therapy. We know everybody recommends it. It's good for our patients. There's proven benefits. But why are we not using it? Well, it's complicated, right? It's kind of hard to think about that when you're in a busy clinic setting and you have a patient that you're talking about therapeutic options with and you've got six more kids that you know are on your schedule today. You have a lot that you have to think through. And so it makes it hard to do. So at Nationwide Children's Hospital, where I'm from, we set out to increase our utilization rates. So we had a meeting with all of the attendings and the fellows who take care of inflammatory bowel disease patients. That's about 26 attendings, nine fellows. And we presented the information that I just presented to you. And how many of you in the room think that that really made a difference? We all knew that we should be doing it, but we kind of felt inadequate because we didn't do it as much as we wanted to do it. So our IBD team set out to make starting enteral nutrition as easy as writing a prescription. And that is the rest of my talk. Essentially, how did we go about making it easy and something that was practical so that in a busy clinic uh, setting, it was going to be better to start exclusive enteral nutrition than writing a prescription for prednisone. So we looked at the barriers of what we thought at our institution was uh, inhibiting us from doing this. And we thought, well, we're not sure it works because when we would do it, we didn't really support our families and we weren't sure that they were adherent, but we know that the data says it's going to work. So that was dismissed. It takes too much time and effort to start. We weren't really sure how to prescribe it. How do you manage it? What does it look like down the road? I don't know how to discuss it with my patients. How do I bring that into a therapeutic uh, conversation? It could be expensive for families, and insurance is unlikely to cover it. And then we thought, our patients just aren't going to do it, and they're just going to hate it. So we had to address each of those barriers moving forward. 
So we decided that we would develop a roadmap, an algorithm to help us get to where we wanted. Now, I don't want to spend time focusing on the details of what's written in, this bo in these boxes because this is something that can vary site to site. So you have to figure out in your institution, how do you want exclusive enteral nutrition therapy to work? So for us, we looked at induction. So all that in red is how are we going to start to do this therapy? And if we're going to start this therapy, we then need to think about what they're going to move to for maintenance therapy because we'd need to get that started as well. So specifically thinking about when we developed this, we were using 6 mercaptopurine quite a bit, and so we were thinking about this as a bridge to therapeutic levels of 6-MP. So we knew that if we were going to start 6-MP as maintenance therapy, we were going to have to start it at the time that we started enteral nutrition. And we came up with how long were we going to uh, allow the patient to try nutrition therapy before we saw a response. When would our dietitians reach out to the family? How long would they con could continue that? And we said we wanted to do it for 12 weeks because, again, for us, we were initially using it sort of as that bridge as the 6MP built up in their system. And then if they were only using it for induction, how were we going to taper them off? So we came up with this roadmap. And then on the other side, we looked at if patients were going to use this for maintenance therapy, what would this look like? Because the data is kind of all over the board about how you can do nutrition therapy. You can decrease the percentage of calories with the formula every day. You can give patients a day off. And we wanted to have a standard approach so that we could share this with all the providers in our clinics that would be offering this to their families. We also came up with a quick cheat sheet so that in clinic, if there wasn't a dietitian that was available to us, how could we get the patient started that day? And so we created this grid. So if we were seeing a 14-year-old male, we could say, okay, today you need to start with, um, we're going to start and we're going to have six cans of adult high-calorie formula as your target. We gave them their amounts of extra water that they were going to need a day. We determined that if we had a 17-year-old that was really delayed and they looked like a 13-year-old, that we would just use 13-year-old guidelines until they gained weight and then readjust. Um, so we came up with this easy handout. And the last two things that I had shown you are in our clinic area. They're available, laminated, so it just makes it really easy as a visual cue to remember to do enteral nutrition. Then we came up with a handout for our families so that we didn't have to write all of this out for them. We could just say, this is how many cans you need. This is what formula you could try if you don't like the formula that we have given you. And then in point two, we said, how can you ramp up? So thinking like, if you're sick, not feeling well, you're not going to be able to just drink six cans a day and restrict all of your calories from your other foods. So we said, okay, on day one, maybe you're going to drink one or two cans of your nutrition therapy, and you're not going to calorie restrict. And on day two, you'll increase that to maybe four cans a day with no calorie restriction. And then on day three, you would be up to full therapy and start to reduce your calories. If we were going to 90%, they'd be able to eat 10% of calories, and if they were at 100%, then they would do none. And then documentation becomes difficult, right? So 
at our institution, we have EPIC, and so we created a dot phrase. All you have to do in your note is just type dot enteral therapy, and all of this information comes up. Those funny markers that are like at F name, that's just auto-populated by our system, and so all we have to do is fill in those wild cards, those asterisks of how many cans we'd like our patients to drink. And for those families that we weren't sure if they were going to be able to afford it or wanted to know if their insurance would cover it, we had just an already documented letter of medical necessity that we just needed to fill in just a few little um, data points, which again, made it a bit easier for us to do. We are a big quality improvement site, and so as we worked through this, we were working with um, quality improvement metrics. So we're doing multiple PDSA cycles, plan, do, study, act. And I would encourage you to use this if you're going to try to increase your utilization, because it really helped us focus on what was working and what wasn't working. So we used the information that I showed you. We studied it. What we did see is that it did increase the rate of use of exclusive enteral nutrition in our facility. So it did raise the bar, but it wasn't quite where we wanted it to be. So we had to step outside of our domain and look into behavioral economics. And thankfully, we have an expert in behavioral economics within our psychology department. For those of you who don't know what behavioral economics is, it's a really hot area of study right now, and it focuses on how people make decisions, how they choose things, and how maybe we can influence their choice or direct them in the direction that we would like them to go. Sort of a combination of psychology and marketing economics is a very cool field. So we used some of the concepts that were key components in behavioral economics to move us to the next level. And one of those things is the compromise effect. So if you set out to tell your families that if they're going to do exclusive enteral nutrition therapy, they're going to be on it for the rest of their life. They're never going to be able to eat food, go out, get a burger now, because all you're stuck with is formula for the rest of your life. Nobody's going to choose that, right? It's, first of all, it's not a good delivery. But nobody is going to want to think about this is going to be for the next 80 years in our pediatric cases. So the compromise effect looks at, okay, this is a good therapy for induction and for maintenance, but let's look at, would you like to do this for 12 weeks? It's as effective as steroids. 70% of our patients will enter remission with this 12-week therapy. And if you choose to do this for maintenance therapy, then we can talk about how that'll look like at that time. So conceptually, it's a bit easier for our patients and parents to wrap their heads around 12 weeks of therapy, see how they can do, and then decide if they want to do that long term. Framing is also another behavioral economics concept that we use. So we talk about exclusive enteral nutrition. And what does that mean? Like, what does that mean to families, enteral nutrition? Like, they don't think that way. So we renamed it. We stopped saying EEN or exclusive enteral nutrition. We started calling it nutrition therapy. Really, that, that's what it is, right? And instead of referring to six cans of formula that they're going to drink a day, because our concept with formula is an infant in a bottle, right? So we changed it to nutrition shakes. It made it a bit easier, and it was true. It's, it's a shake, and it gives us a more pleasant thought. 
Credibility is also an important behavioral economics construct. And it's, um, we have to kind of know what we're talking about, right? So as a group, we decided that we were going to do Enteral Therapy Thursday. So we all decided that for 24 hours, we were going to be doing Enteral Therapy. And it wasn't hard. It was sort of this easy thing to do. We fretted about it, planned for weeks about what day was going to be our day that we were going to do Enteral Nutrition. And it was really totally fine. And it was great that we could discuss with our patients, like, oh, I really liked the chocolate better, and I liked it frozen because then it was kind of like a frosty or, you know, somebody else in the practice really liked the strawberry version. And so it was helpful for us to have that experience. And I get that it's one day and it's not 12 weeks that we're asking our families to do, but you could sort of talk to them on a personal level just a bit. Then some of our team members decided to go above and beyond the call of, of um, nutrition therapy with putting an NG tube down because we were recognizing that none of our families opted for the NG route, and we offered the same, at the same time, PO or NG. So we thought we could get the same experience with that. You see that I'm not in that picture because I wimped out. Um, however, <laughs> lots of our team oh. members did that. Um, and in fact, our social worker, who is the person that's standing between the two men, put hers down, didn't like the way that she did it, so she pulled it out and she said, oh, I think I've got it. Put it down again. So we need her to be our, our NG champion. And then the last thing is present your bias preference. So we say at Nationwide, this is the way that we treat Crohn's disease. We have a starter kit. We have lots of different flavors of their nutrition shakes, and we give that to them, and we say, this is what we do here. This is how we treat this disease as first-line therapy. To move it a step further, now, and this slide is pretty busy, so my next two slides is just this slide split in two, but I wanted you to see what it is. It's a tear-off sheet. We have it in our clinic. We have it in the consult room. We start to talk to patients about their treatment like, as soon as the providers get done doing the scopes. So the top part of this, you know, we look at disease severity. So we have some options, therapeutic options, if you have mild disease, moderate to severe, and severe to high risk. And you can see that in the mild and moderate to severe categories, we list nutrition therapy first. And there's a little asterisk at the top of our, our um, table there that says these are in the order of our preference, just so that they know this is what we would prefer they do. And we look at induction therapy, or as we discuss it with the families, what's going to get your child well, and then maintenance therapy, how are we going to keep them well. And the things may be the same, or they may be different, depending on what the families choose to go with. And then, at the request of our parent mentors, they were getting lots of calls from families saying, you know, we, we learned about all of these different medication options, and we can't remember what the doctor said, like had the most risk for lymphoma or didn't have risk. So they requested that we actually put the most common side effects on our care pathway. And it is not unintentional that we have nutrition therapy first and that we say, oh, there's really no side effects to this at all. So we also gave all of our um, team talking points because they didn't really know how to present it, right? So we said, this is how you need to go into the room. You say, I recommend treating your child's Crohn's disease with nutrition therapy. 
nutrition therapy is as effective. So all of those things that I just manage. But the thing that we have to look at is I, I get the opportunity to go and round inpatient with every one of our attendings. And they would literally be talking to the family about starting nutrition therapy, and they would be grimacing. Like, well, you could start nutrition therapy. You'd be drinking a lot of work. Like, so no grimacing when you do it. And no kidding, they would come out of the room and say, how did I do? And I'd say, well, dude, like if you had a bag over your head, it would be great, but your facial expression just blew it. They're not going to do nutrition therapy. So watch your facial expressions as well as you're talking to the family. You're encouraging them to start this because you think it's the best therapy for them. So our dietitians went above and beyond um, what supports they could give to the families. And I'm just going to breeze through this very quickly. But they did enteral nutrition for an entire week. They took notes. They wrote down everything that, they, that entered their mouth. They made a cookbook, talked about the low-calorie options of their eating 10% of calories with other foods, took pictures of the beautiful things they made because they're dietitians and they can certainly make things look fantastic. Mm-hmm. And then they developed a Facebook page that's a moderated hospital-based Facebook page that they can invite people to for additional support. And then we wanted to celebrate these kids that when they would complete their 12 weeks of induction therapy, we wanted them to know that they were we were proud of them because it needs to be a positive experience, right? Because what if they go to a different medication therapy that doesn't work for them? And we think that we might want them to come back to exclusive enteral nutrition as uh, a treatment option. So we praise them and, and, and let them know how proud we are of them. So in summary, nutrition therapy should be the first-line therapy in most patients with Crohn's disease. And it will help you in your institution to develop tools to start making nutrition therapy as easy as writing a prescription for prednisone. Using a QI approach with multiple PDSA cycles is helpful. Give it a try yourself because you will survive, I guarantee it. And support for the patient and family is critical. So check in with them often to make sure that they're doing okay. I'd like to thank Jen Smith because she helped me. She's our our dietitian that is our exclusive enteral nutrition therapy um, champion at Nationwide Children's.